0: Sunrise on November 6th, 2018. The Cowboys lost last night, but Texas is going to win tonight. It's election day, and history's about to be made. Beto O'Rourke is going to be the star of the midterm elections. He's going to beat Ted Cruz. You know momentum when it's real. You can see the signs. Things that wouldn't otherwise be possible just happen. Massive crowds, bumper stickers, national profiles, and then this an election day surprise. A blessing from a Texan who ascended to the heavens. Beyonce endorses Beto on Instagram. Some things are just meant to happen. I know, I know, I know. I'll be honest. I've been pessimistic about Beto since the final phase of that campaign, but this is not the time for that. This is the time for us to remember what was achieved. So let's remember the big number, shall we? Beto raised $78 million to run against Ted Cruz. For a Senate seat. That, my friends, is a record. No one has ever raised that amount of money before for a Senate seat. To give you a little context, right now, the candidate who has raised the most money through this 2020 campaign cycle is Bernie Sanders. Any guesses on how much he's raised collectively? I'll tell you $73 million. Less than what Beto raised in a similar amount of time to run for Senate. Beto, at this moment, quite simply, is a unicorn. And like most things that shouldn't exist, people have a hard time explaining why it's there. He's young, he live streams a lot, he skateboards, he curses. No one knows exactly why. They just know it's happening. Until it doesn't. I just now had the opportunity to talk to Senator Cruz and to congratulate him, to congratulate him on his victory and to wish him well going forward. And what I said
1: and what I pledged on behalf of all of us, Is it at this time of division?
0: Beto loses, but he goes down swinging. The real clear politics average of the polling of the race had him losing by 7%. When all the votes are tallied, he outperformed his polls and narrowly lost by only 2%. That's huge. That's a gigantic shot of adrenaline to Texas Democrats. And that's still real today. One day after his Beyonce blessing, Beto still feels like somebody on a righteous path. After all, $78 million is a massive number, and he did most of it through small donation website ActBlue, which means he has a massive mailing list. It's no secret that a lot of that money came from out of state, but in a nationwide race for president, that's a feature, not a bug. And there just so happens to be A presidential election on the horizon. This is fated. Beto is born to be in it. And everything from this moment on is diminishing returns. In fact, really, everything from Beyonce on is diminishing returns. It only goes lower from that, the highest point of his career. Seriously. All the idiosyncrasies that the experts fawned over when he was a Senate threat become liabilities. The wandering focus on policy that made him a great anyone-but-Cruz candidate is embarrassing when compared to the laser focus on massive programs like Medicare for All or the experience of some of the more establishment options. Even the live streaming gets mocked. And after initial fundraising boom, that fizzles too. If you don't have the excitement and you don't have the money, then you don't have the momentum. And just the same as you knowing when it's real, you also know when it's gone. And so does everyone else around you they're
1: separating these little children from their families is that they're using section 1325 of that act which criminalizes coming across the border to incarcerate the, pre- the parents and then separate them some of us on this stage have called to end that section to terminate it some like congressman o'rourke have not and i want to challenge all of the candidates fact- to do that I, I just think it's a mistake, exactly. Bethel. I think it's a mistake. And I think that, that if you
0: truly want to. Like a band with a mediocre second album, the crowd starts chanting for Beto to play the hit. You know, there's another Senate race coming up in Texas. He came really close the last time. He can go all the way this time. Everyone still has the bumper stickers on their cars. But he refuses. And then. He burns the bridge. He says something during a presidential race that's bold. But specifically, it's gonna be something that will haunt him forever if he wants to run in the Lone Star State.
1: Hell yes, we're gonna take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not gonna allow it to be used against our fellow Americans.
0: Beto hadn't exactly been a Second Amendment advocate before this. But a mandatory buyback policy? Then to gift wrap a quote that can be used against you in any other race you run? Can you even win a race in Texas if that quote exists? He's do or die for the White House. And last Friday, the dream died. You can't separate those two races. They're mirrors of each other. A brilliant emergence and a comical falling off the map. A shooting star. Which is why, in a lot of ways, for symmetry purposes, I'm upset that he ended last Friday and not today. November 6th. The one-year anniversary of the Beyonce endorsement. The Beyonce Day. The day his Instagram was the center of the political world. I went back to his Instagram today. It's a picture of two kids, I presume that they're his, riding bikes into the dark autumn air. Thank you
1: Austin, thank you Texas, thank you Beto.
0: All the way buddy, we love y'all, thank you. I love you too, Willie. Thanks to the folks that support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, PX3 begins. Now, ah, yes, come on, come on, And welcome everybody to the politics, politics, politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. Lot on the show today, including more Beto. We are going to do our giveaway for uh, the Beto for America sign that we have. Whenever the campaign undertaker calls you, the listeners get the spoils. We'll have the details on that in a second. We're going to have Andrew Heaton on talking about uh, a little bit more of that Senate campaign. He was right in the center of it in Texas while it was happening. And I got in my head that Beto might be by the numbers the biggest financial disaster in political history. So I got myself into open secrets and uh, started pulling financial data, crunching some numbers. Here's the good news for Beto. He ain't close. We'll have all those details in a second as well. But first, let's go ahead and get into the news. Number one, election day happened. Kind of. Kind of election day. It's a little bit like election day. Kind of felt like election day. People were going to vote. They're on social media, posting their "I voted" stickers. But it really only mattered in Kentucky, Virginia, and Mississippi. No, I mean, uh, don't, don't, at, don't, don't send me emails. I swear to God. Yes, all races matter. Yes, I've always said. Please act locally. Those things affect you far more than the national elections. I'm not saying that the local elections don't matter. Of course they matter. Go. I'm I'm happy everybody voted for everything, okay? In terms of the national media, three states were in the spotlight. Kentucky, Mississippi, and Virginia. And if we're gonna go by that narrative, then it was a very good night to be on the blue team. Here's the big news Kentucky. This is a state that tends to lean Republican by hefty double digits, right? Like 18, possibly 20 points. They elected a Democratic governor. It was Andy Bashir, the son of former Governor Steve Bashir. He beats incumbent Matt Bevin. Woo, was it a squeaker? It was a squeaker and a half, 5,000 votes. Bevan has, as of the time that I am recording this, yet to concede the race. So what does this say? And specifically, what does it say about Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell's up for election next year. Donald Trump's obviously up for election next year. Does this mean that Kentucky is in play for one or both of them? Probably not. Look, Matt Bevin is somebody that is uniquely unpopular. Uh, He he actually went against Mitch McConnell (laughs) in, in his last election. This is a dude who has alienated a lot of his own base. So the fact that he lost, is not exactly a shocker. Donald Trump did come down to Kentucky, came down to Lexington, made a big deal about how, don't, you know, just vote for me. Vote for Trump. If you hate Bevin, vote for Trump. Bevin was leading going into this, but polls statewide in Kentucky are, are few and far between, at least for that race it was. So I don't know how much stake you should take into that. It's still a gigantic win for the Democrats. Do not get me wrong. But this is one of those all politics are local situations, in my opinion. I don't think that McConnell needs to worry all that much. I don't think that Trump needs to worry all that much. In Mississippi, probably closer than the Republicans would have liked it, but they retain the governor's mansion there. And in Virginia, you know, we have a blue state. Democrats got both of their chambers, their state legislative chambers. So that is a governor who survived a blackface scandal, a lieutenant governor who survived a sexual assault scandal and an attorney general who survived a blackface scandal, along with a fully Democratic state legislature. I mean, at this point, I I think Northam should just come out and moonwalk in blackface again. What's anybody going to do to him? (laughs) Right? It's just like, whatever. Who cares? Come get me now, suckers. Shimon. And with that, let's go ahead and get in to impeachment talk. The big news, as I record this for you right now, is that Donald Trump Jr., on a press tour for his new book, Triggered, has tweeted the alleged name of the whistleblower who began this impeachment process, which is disgusting, just awful. He should be ashamed of himself. Honestly, he should. How many things need to be named, triggered before it's totally played out? Come on, it's like every uh, you know every right wing podcast host e book, right? It's like half of the the Netflix specials from people who are trying to appeal to the red states. Not everything can be triggered. All right, come up with a new word. As for the whistleblower, this was going to happen. It was just a matter of who was going to pull the pin on it. Because the dude's name has been an open secret. It was on Real Clear Politics, one of their articles, like last week. It's a, a something that is known in Washington, D.C. So the question eventually was always going to become, who will report it? And then who will report it first? You know, the New York Times gave details on it and, and received tremendous pushback for doing so, and I, for one, don't know why. Their job is not to keep government secrets. In fact, many of their proudest moments have been revealing government secrets. Their job is to get the fullest possible scope of information to its readership. Now, here's the tricky part. What if your readership is invested in the political back and forth and therefore doesn't, for political reasons, want it to be released, and they get very mad at you if you do so. Now, if you're the New York Times or any other outlet that has a similar demographic, you got to make a business decision. Do you stay away from this and respect the government saying that this is somebody whose name should not be out there and therefore, don't report information that you absolutely have yourself, or do you anger your paying customer base? And if that's the case, then at some point, there was going to be a a bubbling up of this information. The fact that Don Jr. did it, and that he did it on a press store for his new book, is its own Bizarre element, but the the whistleblower's name is going to get out, and eventually there's going to be more pressure for him to testify. And if he doesn't, well, then you're just going to hear more and more. You're going to hear his story defined by the Republicans who want to discredit him. So here's the other question: Does he matter? Because, and we're going to get to this in a second, there have been more and more transcripts of these hearings or testimonies that have come out from other members of the the foreign service, basically, the, the ambassadors and communiques to Ukraine that have backed up stuff that the whistleblower brought to light. And the answer to whether or not the whistleblower matters is a real question of the dual reality that we face right now. Put simply, conservatives and Republicans are subject-focused, and Democrats and liberals are predicate-focused. Meaning, Republicans and conservatives and Donald Trump are very focused on how did this begin? Forget whatever it found, if it even finds things that look terrible, it only happened, you only got authorization to hold these hearings because of fruit of the poison tree. If we can prove that the first steps of this process were corrupt or done in concert with the Democrats, then everything after it doesn't matter. Meanwhile, liberals and Democrats are saying, hey, look, whatever, let, let, let's say that the whistleblower went to uh, every social outing with Hunter Biden and they were Eskimo brothers. And here's a picture of Hunter Biden and the whistleblower in one of those two-man tubes at a water park and they're just having the time of their lives. It doesn't matter if we found out that you leveraged foreign aid to try and damage The campaign of a political rival, that's what matters. We found that doesn't matter how we got there. As long as we are still in a world where the other side isn't even pretending to try to convince anybody from the other side that their point is correct, then the whistleblower is just going to be a beach ball. They're going to bounce him around. And everyone's going to get angry. And then other people are going to get happy because the other side is angry. And then the other side's going to get angry because the other side is happy because they're angry. And eventually it's just going to lead to the Senate and it's going to die there. Which brings us to a very pedantic point that I would like to make. If you would indulge me in this. Very annoying point. In fact, I am only telling you this because every once in a while, I just get these very annoying points in my brain and only after burning my hand on the stove so many times and bringing them up in, in common company that I realize that, no, nobody's here for your dumb point, Justin, that I stop talking about them to other humans. But you guys are are part of my part of th- this bizarre world that I've created for myself so you guys might enjoy it to give you context other f- past editions of these kind of thoughts have been I'm not for gay marriage because I would like to get a heterosexual civil union <laughs> because my point was I think we should have marriage totally out of the definition of how the government recognizes whatever Union you might want and that I saw the ideas of civil unions as not separate but equal but rather separate and more awesome and I would like to join that team now I made that point a few times and then people just looked at me like I was uh, trying to sell them separate water fountains and eventually I just stopped talking about it but here's the new one this is the impeachment version of my very stupid pedantic point. Is the language of quid pro quo correct? Or are the Democrats falling into a trap? Because these transcripts come out yesterday. And all the headlines are. Ambassador Sondland, who is the ambassador to the European Union. Revises his testimony and confirms quid pro quo. Confirms quid pro quo. And, the, and the, the reversal of the testimony is that Sondland now remembers a moment in which he says to somebody high up in the government of Ukraine that the foreign aid was being held up and would likely not be delivered until they agreed to go forward with an investigation and talk about it publicly. That's big, right? Now you are are building your case. If you're the Democrats, you are trying to build your case to get from point A to point B of a bunch of several different people saying this was the motivation. Ukraine knew about it at this point. That's where we are. Quid pro quo. But is the idea of Proving quid pro quo a problem. Is it a trap? Because no matter what, if you are fighting, he proved quid pro quo. He proved quid pro quo. Well, did he? Because Ukraine got their money. And they never did an investigation he certainly didn't do that investigation's announcement on television. So what you need to be fighting for is, did the Trump administration push for a quid pro quo? Now, that does not sound as sexy, right? But it's also a house built on sturdier ground. Now, it does get you back into the Mueller problem, wherein you're saying, well, technically he did not go through with the obstruction of justice that he was looking to do, but he made the motions, he made the efforts, and that's enough. But That wasn't enough to push for impeachment on. Anyway, get you back to that problem, but if you're ready full bore, if you're ready full steam ahead, I'm just saying it, it, it's about the pushing for a quid pro quo, the offering of a quid pro quo, the threat of a quid pro quo, not... An actual quid pro quo because the White House didn't actually get anything that they wanted. They just gave them the money. At least that we know. Unless you can prove that. You can prove that Ukraine is secretly investigating Burisma. Maybe that's the case you got to go for. All right. That's my pedantic argument. Uh, Is the language on quid pro quo wrong? This is something that would immediately get me downvoted a million times because I want to be word man. Look at me. That's all for impeachment this week. Let me go ahead and tell you guys some stuff you already know. First, you already know that you can sign up for my free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Five stories a day, five days a week, mostly gifts. You guys, you already know. You already know. You know that you can go to takepoliticsseriously.com to support the show. You already know that if you are at the $3 level, you get a custom RSS feed. That you can always have, it'll always work no matter what level you're at. But if you're at the $3 level, you get a bonus show on Monday, you get a bonus show on Thursday. And by the way, last Thursday's bonus show was the impeachment vote. That's a pretty good show. You also know that I love you. Thank you so much for doing it we're at we're at just amazing levels and uh, uh we got some really 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 cool stuff in the works but you also know that this is where we give back beto dropped out that means that all my beto swag is up for grabs if you are listening to this it means that the episode is up on takepoliticsseriously.com my patreon page Go to that page, whether or not you're a patron, and just write gong in the comments. That's all you got to do. I'm going to randomly select one of you guys next week, and I will be mailing you a limited edition Iowa State Fair Beto for America sign. Your political memorabilia served hot off the presses. That's what you get. When you are a PX3 listener. So, go on over to the Patreon. Write gong in the comments for this episode. The one that is out on November 6th, 2019. And get yourself. Get yourself this sign. I'm
1: going to mail it
0: to you. Here's something you might not know, though. Because not a lot of people know it. We had our best month ever in october and that is without any special debate episodes our previous highest months were always we did like mini debates and there was two debates so we got a lot of extra downloads we're doing good right now and it's because you guys keep spreading the word so keep doing it keep it up let a friend know uh we could also use some new reviews On uh, the the iTunes page or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it now, if you enjoy the changes that have been made to the show, now's the time. If you can take a moment, if you're on your phone right now, just head on over to Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, wherever you are getting these episodes, and write yourself a review. Man, it means the world, and it helps us establish ourselves as the must-listen-to podcast for the 2020 season. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Politics. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Andrew Heaton, how you doing, buddy? I am living the dream and delighted to be back on your show. You know, thank you to everybody who came out to our our little meetup in Politicon in Nashville. That was that was an absolute blast. Uh, thank you. That, to everybody that was for that was
1: not only fun; it was also like a. It, it was it was awesome we met we met a few people that listened to the program there's a lot of overlap between your show and my or let, let me rephrase this. that makes it sound like it's a joint venture a lot of your <laughs> listeners have very kindly come over from your show to my show for which I am grateful to you and them and we got to meet some of them and then there were just like a ton of media people we wound up hanging out with like we were drinking with some guy from the Washington Post and Ben Kissel and uh some of my degenerate friends from Texas like it was it was it was a fun time yeah
0: no it was it was uh, uh, it turns out that you You can be just as cool as us and be the coolest people at Politicon, which is uh, is (laughs) an amazing
1: discovery. Yeah, well, yeah. Like I I think uh, Politicon being a a Star Trek convention for political people. Yeah, like already I would rank Star Trek as cooler. Yeah. Like, oh, like 100. You're already there. Yeah. Because like at least Star Trek people aren't coming with like weird bumper stickers to fight each other because they like Voyager <laughs> over Deep. Like like it tends to be more ecumenical. Uh, and uh, so yeah, like I like it was yeah we we were we were pretty cool there.
0: All all we had to do is just the two of us go walk over and just start smoking cigarettes next to the dumpster and eventually a crowd gathered around. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Yep. All right. So uh, Beto O'Rourke is out. I wanted to talk to somebody that was in Texas during that process Those- I,
1: I was there for the beginning apex and slow fizzle of Betomania. <laughs> uh
0: now when did you move because this is when you moved to austin before you moved to dallas yeah. right so uh, I,
1: I've, been, I've been registered in austin the whole time because i never quite warmed up to dallas so I, I've, yeah. I i'm not sure if i'm violating any international sorry sorry
0: sorry metroplex
1: yeah uh but I, I moved i moved to austin about this time last year so I, I got there maybe a month or two before the midterms, and uh, was had was vaguely familiar with Beto, uh, but then but then came into Texas and plunged into the the Beto mania, which incidentally was actually I think bigger outside of Texas than in it, uh, because That's I had friends in New York City that were just like, oh my, you gotta vote for Beto, you're gonna vote for Beto, right? Uh, like they were, they were so, so, so into it, which I think is a significant portion of, of the Beto phenomenon. Um, I, I, there, I, I think you can come up with a word for this, Justin, if you've not already done it or not. Uh-huh. There should be a word for desperately hoping in a candidacy because you just want to gut punch the other team's homeland. That's what happened with Scott Brown. Yeah. That's what happened with Beto. It's like you know, Scott Brown, so he he basically did a surprise victory where Republicans take Ted Kennedy's old seat. The yeah. Baptists have seized the Vatican. Yeah. That's what that was. And all the Republicans rejoiced. They knew it'd be temporary, but it was so oh, they're drinking progressive tears. And that was what Beto was, I think. Was the, the rest of the country that was Democrats are going, God, I hope those I hope the Democrats take Texas And uh, not to say that, like, Beto's an angry, mean guy or anything. He seems like a nice dude. But I think that was the phenomenon that carried him more than anything else.
0: Oh, 100 percent. I mean, uh, in in terms of the out of state uh, uh, rage about it, and and certainly I I walked down, real talk, there were more Beto signs in my neighborhood, in Oakland, (laughs) California, when he was running for Senate. Then, when he was running for president, like huh. when when anybody could reasonably affect or be affected by his ascendancy, there was this kind of phenomenon. Which, so you're saying that when you're in Austin, people I, I knew plenty of Texans that were very excited about voting for yeah. Beto, but not quite the same fervor that, let's say, your friends in New
1: York. Well, it's it, it's also I got to say it's it's confusing for me as well because I, I moved to Dallas right before the midterms. And so he was getting spoken about a lot at the blaze where I was at the time, although uh, they were not fans of Beto, but they were still obsessed with him. Um, So, so Beto came up a lot with them. So that, but I don't think that the blaze is emblematic of the, the, well, maybe it is emblematic of all the Republicans in Texas. I'm not sure. Uh, My, I I did have friends in Dallas that were super jazzed about Beto. One of my friends literally had a votive candle with his visage upon it. (laughs) And she on the one hand knew it was funny but on the other hand no seriously he is like i mean if you were to say like do you think he's a christ like person she would have been like 100% he is one of the most christ like people that's ever walked the world like and she, like and she would go on these like i, I think in her case or yeah, i'll back up um i am not, i, I don't believe in hero worshipping politicians there's yeah. a few that i like I assume they're eventually going to let me down, and and when the aliens land, they'll like declare themselves wardens, and I'll, they'll shuffle me off into the coal mines. That will don't put your faith in princes, right? Uh, but yeah. I I think I, I they, would I
0: would I would tend to think about politicians the same way that Trump thinks about Mexicans. Like I assume many are good people,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate accurate description. And I, I think people that are getting into politics for the first time that that have not realized kind of what's going on um they they'll never having seen anything before they'll meet a candidate that's charismatic and and fall in love just truly fall in love and i think that beto had a lot of that going on as well where there're a lot of people that had never been politically engaged before or maybe they maybe they'd kind of been engaged in like a like a presidential election but they lived in texas and they were democrats and it was a foregone conclusion and so when beto approached that threshold that they could actually make a difference. They finally started paying attention and they started seeing new colors and tasting sugar. Uh, and, and it was sweeter than usual and that kind of thing. So I didn't meet people like that, that were like, I mean, just, you know, in, in complete adoration of him. Um, and that's, and that's gotta also be the thing with like
0: the, the Republicans in Massachusetts, right? That, oh yeah, that yeah, at yeah, a, yeah. at a certain point, you just, <laughs> you, you just resign yourself to, to knowing that I will never find love, right? I, I, I will, <laughs> right? I will never truly know these things that are written about in the storybooks that I read as a youth. Uh, I'm always going to have sand kicked in my face by the opposition because they got the numbers. And then for one brilliant, beautiful moment, maybe this is for real. And also in, in, in the Beto case, it's like, maybe this is the future. Maybe this is going to be every election now.
1: Yeah, I I think that there's um yeah there, there there was definitely the fact that he might have overtaken him. There there was a heightened degree of optimism there. Uh and uh, uh I I was um I'll I'll go ahead and out, I I voted for him. I voted for Beto over Ted Cruz. Uh I I am probably the only person in America that's more or less neutral on Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like. I, I think everybody either hates him or <laughs> begrudgingly likes him from a distance. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody that hangs out with Ted Cruz actually likes Ted Cruz. It's why I didn't believe any of the adultery stories the Trump campaign came out with in 2016. I was like, no one would hang out with him in a room by him. So, um, But like, you know, I, I've got my own complicated Byzantine org chart of what I w- want to have happen, and and I was like, you know what? I don't want as long as. Trump's in the White House. I, I want the legislative branches, at least one of them to be Democrat. And, I, and, and I, so I, I voted for Beto, but I wasn't a part of that whole tidal wave of Beto mania. It was more of like a, ah, all right. Yeah. Okay. That was kind of my, and I'll, I'll say too, I also, I, I have this, um, I, I'm the kiss of death to candidates. Uh, if 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 I endorse your campaign, you're screwed because I want these like very calm, pragmatic moderates to be ascendant and I am the only I'm the last moderate in America. And so it and so I'd looked at Beto and I even called uh I called a couple of people that had interviewed him over at Cato, which is my favorite think tank, and was like, What do you guys think about him? And they were like, you know, if there were more Democrats like Beto at work, I'd probably be a Democrat. And I was like, You know, Beto can convince some folks over at Cato. Uh, that's, that's pretty good standing to me as a, a guy that likes individual rights and liberty and whatnot. Uh, and so I'd kind of hoped he was going to be that like pragmatic pro-business Democrat type thing. And, um, and maybe he was, but I think the, the longer he kind of fizzled, um, the more it became, well, he's sort of a Texan sub Kennedy. That seems to be the big appeal. And he's not Ted Cruz, also big appeal. And, and there's not, and then once you get in the presidential election, he kind of wanted to become all things to all people and then sort of focused on not guns, which, great thing to do in Texas. Well, and, I mean, uh, eventually,
0: eventually. Uh, uh, but uh, r- real quick before we get beyond that cruise election, uh, there seemed to be, at least from my distance, I was not living in Texas, but obviously I talked to a lot of Texans because of my connections through the, the Brushwoods and, and right. friends of mine that are there.
1: Money laundering and so forth.
0: Money laundering, of course. Yeah. Uh, that, like, there was this, like, Nobody quite could explain what they liked the most. Everybody Mm. had a different thing, uh, but they just knew they liked him. And on some level, I can get why he attracted the kind of support that he did. And he, all of a sudden he's the darling of like the pod save America crowd. And, and a lot of the like kind of New York and California writer set, because those are democratic catnip. Right, like, like the 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 just we don't know why we want to stand next to you, but we all need to stand next to you right now. That's Kennedy, Clinton, Obama. Mm. Right, like this is out of that mold, and nobody really knows where they come from. They just sort of happen, and so I could get why people just flocked. Like, like he was the 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 Ponch and Lama. Right.
1: Yes, I don't know what a Ponch and Lama is. Oh, that's yes. the
0: that's the 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 Dalai Lama in waiting. They like, oh, OK. They then, like yes. identify. Uh, yeah. No, I
1: think it's a great way to describe it. I, I know. I think th- there there was there was a certain sense of meteoric ascendancy to him. Um, there there was definitely like he 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 was kind of getting like he it felt very Obama esque. Yeah. In terms of the, the kind of adulation around him. And like I remember when Obama ran successfully, um, like at the beginning of that campaign, a, a lot of uh, I let me think. Um a lot of my Democrat friends at the time, when Obama was first running, were saying things like, Oh, I really like that guy. He's not ready. I wish he'd I wish he'd hold back another four years. Yeah, you know, and that kind of thing. And it turns out he he did just fine. Uh, but there was this sense of like, yes, this is the the future of it. Um I, I could be. I mean, they keep telling us that that uh that Texas is gonna go purple. Um, you know, he, he now has an infrastructure there. I I I kind of think I, if I were gonna, if I were gonna bet on this, I would bet heavier on Beto O'Rourke becoming a CNN contributor than on becoming <laughs> yeah. a senator. Uh, well, but I mean, you know, It uh, could, could be at some point he comes around, he,
0: but by political I, standards, he's still a young dude. So, a hundred percent, he's very young, and that's that's, I guess, the last moment because I do want to. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've been crapping on Beto for a long time. I've been crapping on Beto since the end of that twenty eighteen campaign because I thought he ran an awful last few months. I, I was very pessimistic about his presidential run and then it turned out I was right. And I I was I was unhappy with how happy I got at him flaming out because I was very excited that I was right. And so now I I do want to go out of my way to point out like, hey look, this guy was a little mini revolution in Texas. But now that we've done that, we can close that book. Let's talk about him running for president. Because I a hundred percent agree everything to everyone is a a a a positive spin. On what, to me, was just aimless. It started out as, I'm from El Paso, I'll secure the border, or I want comprehensive immigration reform. The first video that he put out, before he even ran, was all about how we need to fundamentally reshape immigration reform. Which nobody is doing right now. Could have totally been his lane. He abandoned it before he even started running. Right? Yep. Uh, uh, And then, from there, it just keeps wandering. It goes, it goes wandering to, we need to stop separating children. Okay. That's a little bit different than comprehensive immigration reform, or you should probably put that together in a better message. Uh, I can win Texas. Okay. Well, uh, maybe, but, uh, you got to really do Texas things to be the guy who could win Texas. And then the El Paso shooting happens and he becomes, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR 15s. At which point it's like, not only is this not going to play out well for you in a national election, but I don't know if you can ever run in Texas again when, when every commercial against you is going to be that exact ad.
1: Like, like if, if you're, you, you can get away with, you know, I I don't know Texas politics as well as I know Oklahoma politics right, right now, Oklahoma is pretty firmly Republican, but if you were running in that part of the country and, and you've got a drawl and you're like stirring your, your bourbon with a tiny handgun, yeah, going, you know I, I'm I'm an FDR Democrat, but I sure as hell like shooting turkey. Like like we'll get behind that. That you could you could still you know you okay he's part of our group. Yeah yeah I, th- I I I agree with you Justin. I think we'll we'll come take your guns is not Castro walked that pretty well when you watch the debate um, the last one that the Beto was in I think um, Castro had this uh, uh, I, I was really impressed with the the kind of mental jujitsu he had of like. I'm very progressive, but like and he and then he has this whole um thing about, you know, like like there are so many minority groups that are shot by cops when they're coming in when they don't have a warrant, and you're telling me you now want to empower police to go to all of these poor neighborhoods and seize the guns. And I can't fathom that there's not going to be a lot of innocent blood. And I was like, that is a great way to respond to that. Because now all of the gun people are like, good, see, exactly. And all of the progressives are like, right, we don't want, yeah, uh, the cops are shooting up minorities. We don't want that. Like uh, Castro handled that very, very well. Uh, Yes. I think Beto, not, not a good, not a good place to be. So
0: if we're taking bets, so, I mean, you, you say CNN contributor. Yeah. I think we're both in agreement. It, he's got to at least wait. I mean, he's going to have to. I mean, because if he's not going to run against Cornyn in 2020, then the next time a Texas Senate seat comes up is uh, uh, in when Cruz comes up again. Uh, and I guess at that point, the only other big seat in Texas, if he wanted to stay in Texas, would be the governor's mansion. But that's the same year as when Cruz comes up. Or no, I think mm-hmm. it's two well- years before. Uh, so it's like I, I – I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is he? Does he write no, the he, book? He, does he have a podcast? It's got to be a podcast, right?
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, he's welcome. I, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> uh, or I'll make another prediction here to too. So uh, let's let's get into the mind of a politician very really quick, particularly a politician that has tasted the the meth of having crowds of people tell you you're the savior of mankind. And, and by that the way, a, and by the way,
0: he has the heavyweight belt. More money raised for a Senate campaign, seventy-eight million dollars, more than anybody else. And as we said at the beginning of the podcast, right now the biggest fundraiser in the twenty twenty race on the on the Democratic side is Bernie Sanders with seventy three. So for the Senate, a year ago in a similar amount of time, he raised more money than Bernie Sanders is has, has to run for president.
1: Yes, he did absolutely. Now again, I think that that was the defeat Ted Cruz tip jar. But, maybe, maybe. Uh, he- he does have that. I, I'm thinking – Like I, I think this is just all politicians. I think it's incredibly go seductive to have someone come up and shake your hand and go, you know what? Everyone in, in Washington's a crook, but I believe in you, and I think you're wonderful, and I I think you have it in you to save America. And you eventually begin to believe that about yourself, as I think Beto has done uh, or, or always had. I don't know. I, again, this is a general projection on a yeah, are, we, are,
0: we, are, we are doing big, broad strokes here.
1: Yeah, well, but 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 yeah, but I, I I think that nonetheless he has that though, right? Now let's say you have that and you like going to campaign rallies and you like having thousands of people name their kid Beto after you and on all that kind of stuff. If if you're if if that's what you want to do and you like that and that's what motivates you and 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 you can keep doing that to your eighty, I if, good good chance he just goes to a different state. Uh, I, I think like, and I I don't, I don't know the guy he might have, like, I know he's from El Paso and his family's from El Paso. It might be that he is so truly committed to El Paso that he does not want to leave. But I would say the, the average politician when they, when they quit being a congressman, a lot of the time they stay in DC because they like DC. They like the golf scene. That's where their social life is. So I could also see him a couple of years from now, you'd see a, a song and dance of like, um, well, there's a, there's, there's the, the Democrat drops out for whatever reason, or, or, gets hit by a meteor or something, uh, in, in, um, New Hampshire and, uh, and, and like, and, you know, he gets para in there. I could see something like that happening. I could see him shuffling over. Mm, I like Which that. Scott Brown did, didn't he? I mean, didn't Scott Brown, like, he, he ran in Massachusetts and I think he ran again in New Hampshire or something like that because it you know is kind of nearby and it, it seemed like it was that there might be a favorable electorate and it's more important to have office than actually have office where you're from um so I could see that happening he'd have to
0: go coastal right oh yeah
1: no a hundred percent yeah he'd have to he'd have to do that yeah he he he'd go to, you know, to California or to New England or something like that. All right. It wouldn't make sense for him to go to Kansas. He's what not going to. No, he's, he's gonna no, 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 no.
0: There. No. All right. I like this. I like this a lot. Put this, put this in a lockbox. The Beto move. We will see whether or not it happens. You know, Andrew Heaton, Uh. Uh. the, the political orphanage. Uh, uh. Do you have any cool guests coming up or, or guests that just happened that you want people to listen to?
1: Yeah, I've had a bunch of fun guests recently. So this week I had on Mike Larson. Mike Larson is a former comedy writer for uh, the Drew Carey Show and Bill Maher. I knew him when I worked on The Hill because he's also a former press secretary, and he's now running against Jim Jordan out of Ohio. So um, really smart, funny guy who I think is going to run an interesting campaign. We also had on um, last week Ben Howe, who uh, had a great conversation with me about, like, Everything from Cyrus the Great to, like, William Jennings Bryan and all of this, but basically figuring out why the evangelical movement has embraced Trump and, uh, and had on Matt Grossman talking about kind of the main psychological difference between Republicans and Democrats. So I'll throw out, if you're interested in how people think in politics, we've had a lot of really good stuff on the political orphanage pertaining to that this month or last month. Awesome.
0: Political orphanage. Andrew Heaton, thank you so much, sir.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Politics! What I really want to see is done. I don't really need be a, a bad bitch need is the, Money. I got ants in the coop.
0: So Beto drops out on Friday. Literally as I'm finishing the new Friday edition of our 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 show and I got a million thoughts in my head. But here's one of them. Is Beto the biggest financial disaster? that we've ever seen in politics. How do you prove that? Well, the way I figured it was, you look at how much they raised versus how many days they were in the race. And that will give you some sense of how much money went in for how much result. Now granted, it's a zero-sum game. Everybody is going to wind up spending a ton of money that isn't going to win. That's Part of what politics is, but we can look at these numbers. And so I started. Beto raised $17 million, around $17 million. He was in the race for 201 days. That's $85,000 plus per day. $85,000 plus per day of the Beto 2020 campaign. Now compare that to Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal ran in the Republican primary in 2016. He only raised $6 million, was in for 146 days. That's $41,000 per day. So much less than Beto, about half of what Beto spent. How about Lindsey Graham? Lindsey Graham raised $11 million. It's a little closer to Beto. He was in for 203 days, longer than Beto, $54,000 a day. But I got some good news for Beto. Because as it turns out, not only is he not the biggest failure, he's not even the biggest failure from his own state. Oh, everything's bigger in Texas, including these numbers. Rick Perry in 2016 raised $17 million and was in the race for 99 days, making his per day average $171,000 per day. Day. Hachi Machi. I was pointing these numbers out on Twitter when I wound up getting entangled with a man by the name of Tim Miller. Tim Miller run, or ran the Jeb campaign. Jeb exclamation point. Oh, yes. That Jeb campaign. He was calling for civility on this a big moment of reflection and loss for the Beto supporters and campaign. He said it is really classless that people are dancing on the grave of Beto. Everybody on the campaign knows they lost. It just shows bad character. Now, uh, look. I I don't know if I was dancing. I might have been Two-step it just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, but look, come on. If you're in politics, you're in the emotion manipulation business. You can't be surprised when things boomerang back on you. This is just part of the game. It's part of what you do. It's, it's, it's I don't know. For him, I'm sure it's a lot more real. But it did make me go and look up Jeb's numbers. ha, ha, ha. And so here they are. Jeb raised $155 million. He was in the race for 250 days. That means that for the cause of Jeb running for president in 2020, $597,000 were spent per day. (laughs) Now, as I was corrected by Mr. Miller himself, can I call you Tim? Tim, thank you. He said he was not in charge of the Super PAC money. And so, I do need to point out that both the Perry number and the Jeb number are augmented by gigantic amounts of PAC money. In fact, the Jeb campaign itself only raised $34 million. But I'm lumping them all together here because at some point, organizationally, there had to be a decision by either the candidate or the campaign that they were going to direct donors to fund these PACs. Now, whether or not, obviously, it's illegal for the campaign to interact with the PACs. But at a certain point, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how much money would you like? And you're like, well, you've already maxed out donating to the campaign. Go give it to this PAC. Then that's a decision that you're making, right? So I'm including all of it together. You guys want some more rapid fire numbers? I got some more rapid fire numbers. How about this one? Marco Rubio Marco Rubio only I mean he he had a really expensive campaign $163 million in total funding 337 days in the race $483,000 per day for the record $130,000 of that came from a political action committee funded by California vintner John Jordan entitled Baby Got Pack (laughs) Ted Cruz raised $143 million, 20 less than Marco Rubio. was in for 377 days. He obviously was second only to Trump. That's a pretty lean campaign. Of of 2016, he ran a very lean campaign, $379,000 per day. But I know you guys want the heavyweights. The ones who went the distance. Hillary Clinton. Raised $770 million, was in the race for 576 days. She spent $1.3 million per day. <laughs> Donald Trump raised $450 million, was in for 511 days. That is 880000 per day. And I would expect that to be... There is a chance Trump might spend $1.5 million a day in 2020. That's a lot of hooch. Politics! And that'll bring us to the end of our show today. I want to thank our Titanic tier, Adam, Jonathan, D. laser, Andy, Paul, Mike, and Brad. Of course, you guys are my super pack at takepoliticsseriously.com. It's also there that you can comment gong on this very episode. Get yourself a Beto for America sign. You can email me, theyoungamerican, at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Tropkillers. And you can follow me at Justin R. Young on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Get on our Discord, bit.ly slash jurydiscord. If you want to talk politics 24-7, it's right there for you. That about wraps it up for us today. I would like to remind you. That politics has three names, and there are some shows that talk about politics. Other shows that talk about politics, and there are still more that talk about politics. But this, friends, right here is the only show that talks about yes. oh!